It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the BBC Country Farm Magazine podcast, the podcast where you can escape on adventures into the British countryside. In this episode, travel writer and fisherman Andrew Griffiths ventures into the Derbyshire town of Bakewell in search of a very special bookshop that specialises in rare books about angling and field sports. Listen on for Andrew's delightful chat with bookseller Jim Dixon, the former chief executive of the Peak District National Park. And they talk about the greatest book on catching fish ever written, The Complete Angler by Isaac Walton and Charles Cotton. We also include a few special readings from the book for you to enjoy. A trip to Bakewell in Derbyshire's Peak District has always combined two of my great passions. One is fly fishing and the beautiful limestone river Wye that runs through the town, and the other is the chance to talk about fly fishing to my fly fishing mates, and I can usually find a few hanging around the town's fly fishing shop. And I can indulge a third passion now, which is one for antiquarian books about angling. Jim Dixon, a fly fisher, used to be the chief executive of the Peak National Park. After 11 years in post, he left that job three years ago to pursue other interests. One of those interests is to be part of a team conducting a government-commissioned review into the future of our national parks, and another is a sideline as an antiquarian book dealer. Jim's speciality is books on field sports, and what so interests him is that they were the beginnings of a great tradition in natural history writing. Perhaps the greatest of them all is Isaac Walton's Complete Angler, which has a section in by Charles Cotton, who lived by and fished the River Dove, just a handful of miles from Bakewell. At the time of meeting, Jim had 30 editions of the Angler, as those in the know refer to Walton's tome, which puts him in the top five collectors in the world. I went to meet Jim at Bakewell's Rutland Antique Centre. Yeah. I see something I really like. 
Okay, so I'm in the antique market now, and I'm just approaching Jim's stall, and there's Jim. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? Hello, Andrew. Very good, thank you. Yes. And we're here in front of a cabinet, and you've got the door open now, and I can see quite a few Isaac Waltons. And what was it you said to me, that you can't have too many Isaac Waltons? Well, I, I, jokingly, I, <laughs> I, I think you can't have enough Isaac Waltons. I've actually got 30 copies. No, I had, I had 30 at the beginning of this week. I've got 29 today because I've sold one this week. Right, okay. Um, my ambition is to that have... That must have hurt. <laughs> They're like children, aren't they? <laughs> um, they have to leave home eventually. <laughs> um, the serious point is that um, I uh, have an absolute passion for natural history writing. It's always been something I'm very interested in. Yeah. Gilbert White, when I was a kid, I used to cycle to Selborne and I learnt all about Gilbert White. Right. And as I went through my scientific and academic career, I was always very aware of the heritage of natural history writing. People like Gilbert White, Charles Darwin, Joseph Banks, and in the modern era, Richard Jeffries, W.H. Hudson. And one of the things that's really interesting, you go back a little bit beyond Gilbert White, the greatest natural history writers were field sports writers. It was people like Humphrey Davy, it it was Isaac Walton and Charles Cox, and then, when I moved to the Peak District, wow, this was the kid in the sweetie shop. I could go fishing on Isaac Walton's River. <laughs> so, when I had a bit of time, when I left the National Park job three years ago, I began to start thinking about lots of things I wanted to do. Were you collecting books throughout while you were working? Not really, no. In a lifetime no, I've always been interested in books. I've always had a lot of books around me. I've always worked in places that had great libraries. Mm. When I worked at the RSPB, we had the best ornithology mm. library in the business. Uh, I worked in London with the uh, civil service, and you know you could always get whatever you wanted. Um, and I've, I've always, we've always had books at home, but they've always been those kind of workaday books, mm. DIY manuals, and, and you know. When you're in the sciences, books are very much uh, they're a tool, aren't they? They're, they're a tool. tool. They they're a tool. Knowledge, yeah. and, 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 whereas what, what you've got into here is yeah. I mean, they're just beautiful objects. And own, I mean, looking at these these complete anglers, I mean, they just look beautiful. Well, this one I've got in my hand here is uh, an eighteen. Um, 1835 edition of the major, what's called the major, um, which is a third edition of the John Major, nothing to do with Prime Minister John Major, 1835. And one of the things that John Major's editions were famous for was the very high quality plates. So there we go, turn to this page, opposite page 105, and you've got um, uh, Charles Cotton, Isaac Walton sitting there on the banks of the Dove having breakfast. Yeah, very idealised view, isn't it? Very idealised view. I've seen that style. So this, this, is, a, nice this, this is an early 19th century. Yeah. Now we turn over to page 310, opposite 310, and there's somewhere you'll recognise. It's Pike Pool. It's Pike Pool. Looking nothing like Pike Pool. <laughs> I have to say, it's the grandest pike <laughs> the, the, I've ever the, seen. The pike <laughs> is looking on about the same scale, scale as the Eiffel Tower. It looks enormous, uh, doesn't it? Well, but in reality, um, it's uh, two or three... Body, human body height, <laughs> really, isn't it? But the wonderful thing is, there we go, we, we're very familiar with that. We, yeah. you, you, you and I, fish yeah. this area, we walk it, we 
we take visitors there, and yet here we are, we've got one of the most important books ever written in the English language, one of the most important science books, one of the most important field sports books, one of the most important sporting books, The Complete Angler, and here we are, page after page is familiar to us, because it's our landscape. And now for the water, the element that I trade in. The water is the eldest daughter of the creation, the element upon which the Spirit of God did first move, the element which God commanded to bring forth living creatures abundantly, and without which those that inhabit the land, even all creatures that have breath in their nostrils, must suddenly return to putrefaction. Moses, the great lawgiver and chief philosopher, skilled in all the learning of the Egyptians, who was called the first friend of God and knew the mind of the Almighty, names this element the first in the creation. This is the element upon which the Spirit of God did first move and is the chief ingredient in the creation. Many philosophers have made it to comprehend all the other elements, but most allow it the chiefest in the mixture of all living creatures. So when I... When I started, uh, as you put it, beginning to look at books as items of commerce and items of beauty, it became rather a natural thing that I should show an interest in The Complete Angler by Isaac Walton. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, we're in Batewell now and there is relatively little made of the fact that what you're, you're, you're saying, telling me there quite how important that book is in the history of English ling- literature mm. in the English speaking mm. world not mm. just mm. not just here for not just its angling for its science and, and um, all the other aspects of the book and yet relatively little is made of it here and I think well uh, I think I think this, 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 this has been my ambition over yeah. the last few years because I um, I completely agree with you I think that the, 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 this is this is this is far more important than than all of those books that whole great economies are made of around mm. the world and around Britain's heritage. This is one of the most, but it's so little known. Mm. Now, you can buy copies of these in the very good bookshops, Scarthin Books and, and um, uh, uh, Scrivener's in, in Buxton, two very good bookshops, but they don't have many, they don't, they've got one or two copies. I was very struck when I went to James Cummins bookstore in New York, one of the world's best traditional antiquarian bookshops. They've got over a hundred editions of our book, mm. The Complete Angler. And I thought, oh, Batewell can do better than that. When I, when I first wanted to write the story of the River Dove yeah. and write the story with Walton, I had to go to the States to publish it. <laughs> You know, with Grace Walton Jones. I couldn't find a publisher over here who the, was the, wanting to publish the story. The wonderful thing, of course, in the States, they've taken Walton. And what, what's important is it's not just the name and the book and the heritage, it's what he wrote about. He wrote about the natural history of the trout in the natural rivers. And he didn't really write about angling per se. And actually, some people are quite critical of his angling writing. But the really important thing is he wrote about the quarry species. He wrote about the fish, the river. And then a little bit later, when Charles Cotton began to write with him, when you get later editions, it becomes Walton and Cotton. uh, Cotton was a poet. He understood rivers. 
He wrote about the geology. He, he under, I think Cotton had a slightly greater sense of place. Mm. So you've got this brilliant naturalist, these, this brilliant geographer, for want mm. of a better word, and then the two of them with this love of fishing. Mm. And so you get this perfect mix yeah. of writing. And it is observable not only are there fish, as namely as the whale, three times as big as the mighty elephant that is so fierce in battle, but that the mightiest feasts have been of fish. The Romans, in their height of their glory, have made fish the mistress of all their entertainments and have had music to usher in their sturgeons, lampreys and mullet, which they would purchase at rates rather to be wondered at than believed. He that shall view the writings of Macrobius or Varro may be confirmed and informed of this, and of the incredible value of their fish and fish ponds. The really, really interesting story about this is when you start looking at books on angling, the world's best books on angling, it isn't just here. It isn't just the, the it isn't just Walton. We've got a handful of other really brilliant angling books that have their fingerprints all over our rivers here too. It's interesting. I'm interested why we don't make most more of that. I mean, I'm speaking to you. You used to used to run the national park. I mean, I'm interested in two things: one, why we don't make more of it, and two, do you feel? In any way, since you've you, you finished doing that job, you're sort of liberated and you can get on with doing things like trying to put Baitwell on the map yeah. a little bit more and trying to put the job on the map a little bit more. But very, do you feel freed up now? Of course, of course, that's it's, it's the case. As you know, as a person running the National Park, you have to deal with planning applications, affordable housing, you've got to do committee meetings. Keep and def- it's a political role. Political extent, role, keep DEFRA happy, yeah. earn your money, do them all and restoration. Yeah. It's a big job. It's yeah. a big job. Today... Because I'm a little bit freer, I do a number of other things, I can focus on the things that I want yeah. to focus on. So I've been able to focus on this collection of books, which is partly a commercial venture. Let's, let's not just concentrate on the complete angle, hmm. because, I mean, again, we're in this... It, it, it's, I suppose I'm imposing my own interest in this, but it, it's place and the literature that really interests me. And again, why so little is made of it in Derbyshire and, and the, the peaks, mm-hmm. when I think it should be absolutely, absolutely central on the world map of fly fishing in many ways. Um, tell me about the the other literature, the rich literature. It's not all about Walton and Cotton, is it? There's, no. There's a rich I mean, literature. Tell me a little bit about that. Partly, Cotton and Walton spawned uh, other very nice books and they encouraged other people mm. and they fished on the dove which which so so there's a handful of very famous books i've got uh, a rather nice couple of copies of of john anderton's book on the river dove it's the amateur angler book on books oh, on dovetail super little books um, imagine somebody pulling that um, out john there, anderton's it? lovely book one of the super little books i've got here um, which was dated 1849 um, it's actually published uh, a bit before that by a man called John Anderton, and this is signed by his son. And I always think no, that's lovely. lovely. Much nicer, I think, than signed by the author. But actually, this Walking was the son. Descriptions are fascinating, aren't they? Oh, they're, they're, they're wonderful. They're, they're Absolutely. Stories wonderful. about stories, really. Well, listen, you know, quite properly in the world of um, book dealing, antiquarian book dealing, a, a book with a really good uh, um, accreditation is, has, has, has meaning. 
And, that add, uh, does that add value to it? It certainly does. does it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if you've got, you know, I'm quite, quite pleased if, about If that. in 2006 your three-year-old child rubbed crayon all over it, yeah. that reduces the value. But if you have a book, um, uh, um, let's say one of the great 20th-century writers on. Uh, angling like Halford or Skews or Earl Grey, the Foreign yeah. Secretary, they were great writers in their own right. If you had their copy of the Complete Angler, <laughs> you'd be doing okay. You'd be doing very well. Okay. Um, Tell me about the 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 estates published their own, didn't they? The Haddon Estate. Tell me about the some of the books because they put out some really well-known field sports books. There was a really lovely trend for a while for the uh, the great estates. Uh, I mean, first of all, the great estates were great. Um, um, uh, they were great patrons of writers, um, but also the, the there was the badminton series, the Beaufort series uh, of books, and they they all the great estates published a series of books on countryside sports, and one of the nicest, and indeed one of the most desirable if you could ever get them at auction, and they go so quickly at such high price, mm. is the Haddon Hall Library. Uh, here we are, four miles from Haddon Hall. We're at, we're at, we're at the Rutland Arms <laughs> Antique yes. Centre. Could not be more authentic. Well, the, way back in the beginning of the 20th century, when the, uh, the Ninth Duke was restoring Haddon Hall, they had this wonderful little project to produce nine volumes on um, hunting, shooting and fishing and they asked the uh, the recently retired Foreign Secretary Earl Grey to write a book and he wrote one of the best technical books on fly fishing mm. and it's called Fly Fishing by Earl Grey in the Haddon Hall series and I do, I, unfortunately, I, haven't, I can't show you one today because I had three copies in here. And you're going to sell them. I've sold them. I've, got, I've come back in and half the books that I've got here, Mark, to talk about. It's just well, spaces well, on the shelves. Well, you'll well, have to stop selling them. Well, it's lovely to be selling books, particularly books. It's great to see the place as busy as it is today. It's, it's absolutely it's lovely, isn't it? It's lovely, it's lovely. Yeah. And of course, but we have a, a, a really lovely um, collection of books, some of the most famous books... Um, the, the people associate um, Frederick Halford with the fishing of the dry fly. Mm. Actually, some of the best work done on publishing articles about dry fly fishing, mm. the technical skills of that, were done here and written here yeah. by people long before Frederick Halford. And if you go, as I was lucky enough to go to the river... Um, uh, Beaver Kill in the Catskill Mountains of the States, and the river keeper there popularised uh, dry fly fishing there, and that river is renowned across the United yeah. States. They call it America's Stream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, why don't we have England's Stream? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, why don't we celebrate the the beauty of the landscape? The, Glorious Dove Valley, the Lathkill, the Wye, the Derwent, 
the stories of our rivers here. And the stories of the rivers and the, that link between angling and the natural history, yeah. I think that that's so important to make and makes us so potentially contemporary. Yes. That's what I think is exciting if, about If, if these books were about how to catch lots of fish and yeah. kill them and empty your rivers yeah. of fish, just like fire fish I, 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 wouldn't, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be interested in them at all. It yeah. would turn me off. I wouldn't want anything yeah. to do with that. Yeah. But they're not... One of the wonderful I mean, this things. This is beautiful. What's this? Wings and Hackles. Wings and Hackles. This, this is just a, a nice little book written by a man who was very much, I think he was a, a, a barrister, very much about London. You read the book and it tells you all about. Um, the Derbyshire uh, connection. Then, the, the, the Dovedale connection. And um, uh, he, he's a London man, Raymond Hill. Uh, but he, the first thing you read in his introduction is he tells you about getting the train. Uh, to Ashbourne and then walking up to to fish the dove in Dovedale. So you know this this is published in early 20th century. Let me get you the date for this one. I can never remember the dates of details of things. This was a nice one. Published in 1912. Uh, Wings and hackles, a potpourri of fly fishing for trout and grayling. And here we go again, this link with natural history. Notes on bird life, chiefly in Hampshire, Devon, and Derbyshire. Uh, Particularly the uh, lovely little book, rather good book. I always think that's probably what makes a great angler naturalist, is not being such a brilliant angler because you've got plenty of time to look at what else is going on. Well, this is certainly my excuse. (laughs) Well, well, we should say about the complete angler, of course, what is so brilliant about it is you can't just go and fish the river, but you can actually go and sit in the, 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 the fishing house. The, the temple that 1674 it's, it's like going to Wembley and being allowed to play for penalties against Gordon Banks I'm not going to try and tell that one you know you don't get more real and more authentic it would yeah. be like Bobby Charlton saying Jim, come over to Manchester and we'll have a kick around Old Trafford. <laughs> that is yeah. as authentic and as real. And if you go right the way across the United States, the Waltonian Society mm. is the fishing environment protection body. Yeah. Yeah. So here we go, the, wor- the name of our man, our local man, who fished on our rivers, thought the Lathkill was the most beautiful and clear river he'd fished. Yes. Talked about how beautiful, some wonderful language in The Complete Angler about the River Lathkill, yeah. which of course we, us anglers who live in this area, know to be the most beautiful river. 350 it years so ago. Clear, the fish are practically impossible to catch yeah. still. Yes. <laughs> yes. An angler's river, as people call it, a technical yeah. river. Yeah. Yeah. But... Um, Walton knew that to be the case. Now, again, somebody who's worked in conservation all your life, to just think that here you are looking after the rivers, the river keepers today, members of the local clubs, the conservation bodies, looking to protect these rivers, that 350 years ago, the great writer of natural history and, and field sports of his day he valued as well. So it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Thank you very much, Tim. That's good. Great. It's good to see that although you may have left the National Park behind and it looks completely different with books, it's good to see that you're keeping that link with the environment and the area good. and conservation. Uh, well, it's, what, it's what my life's been about. Thanks yeah. very much, Tim. Thank you. Good. Now that's the sort of fireside chat that makes you feel all warm inside. Thank you so much to Jim and Andrew for that very diverting conversation about antiquarian books. And if you're ever in Bakewell, you can find Jim's shop in the Rutland Antique Centre. 
Thank you also to Hannah Tribe for the lovely readings from The Complete Angler. Next week, it's a complete change as we head back out into the wild on another podcast. Please do tune in, but in the meantime, head to our website, countryfar.com, for all your countryside needs, including great walks and new places to explore. You've been listening to the BBC Countryfile magazine podcast, produced in Bristol by Ben Hewitt and Jack Bateman. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll leave you with one more fun reading from The Complete Angler. The chub, though he eat well thus dressed, yet as he is usually dressed he does not, he is objected against, not only for being full of small forked bones dispersed through all his body, but that he eats waterish, and that the flesh of him is not firm but short and tasteless. The French esteem him so mean as to call him en vilain. Nevertheless, he may be so dressed as to make him very good meat, as namely, if he be a large chub, then dress him thus. First scale him, and then wash him clean, and then take out his guts, and to that end make the hole as little and near to his gills as you may conveniently, and especially make clean his throat from the grass and weeds that are usually in it, for if that be not very clean, it will make him to taste very sour. Having so done, put some sweet herbs into his belly, and then tie him with two or three splinters to a spit, and roast him, basted often with vinegar, or rather verjuice and butter, with a good store of salt mixed with it. Being thus dressed, you will find him a much better dish of meat than you, or most folk, or even anglers themselves do imagine.